and welcome back episode number 94 of the New York Pinches podcast in partnership with Inside the Ring. I'm your host Jacob Berkowitz and alongside my co-host Luca. Red is not around today. We're honored to have on four-time Stanley Cup winning defenseman Jeff Bukaboom. No, we actually did not plan on having him on specifically on episode 94. Just, you know, came out that way. But anyway, just want to let you all know to go to insidetheringcom slash ESPN to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch games and more. And yeah, let's get to it. And welcome back. We're on a drive on four-time cup winning defenseman, Jeff Bukaboom. Jeff, how's it going? Well, it's going great. Enjoying the summer. You know, what else can you say? It's all good. Where are you right now? You're on a, you're on a boat somewhere in Canada. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, about an hour and a half from Toronto. It's uh, called the Trent Water System. So it connects uh, Lake Ontario and Lake Huron. So actually, there's a lot of American boats that uh, come through here, and they, they do what's called the big loop. So they come start in the Caribbean and they go up through New York, the intercoastal uh, Lake Ontario, then through central Ontario. And they get onto Lake Huron and then they get over to Lake Michigan and then they, um, they get on the Mississippi and then head back down. So I've talked to a lot of the Americans that are on here and, uh, you know, they'll, it's like some of them are on for eight, 10 months. Some of them are on for less. They're really enjoying the, what Canada has to offer and the rest of the triples. Nice. Um, so w- what we usually like to do is we like to start in the beginning of your career and kind of, you know, move, move along as, as that goes. So after yeah. you were drafted in 83 by Edmonton, they had, yes. they had Messier. Did yeah. that go through your head when you were drafted? Like I might be joining the possibility of a dynasty here. What was going through your head when you were drafted there? Well, as we know, back then, there was no internet. There was no uh, social media. So you knew who Wayne Gretzky was. You knew who uh, some of the players were there. But you, it wasn't like, oh, you could follow them. Or, you know, if you didn't get the hockey news, you didn't really know. I, I grew up on a dairy farm, and we had four channels. So if they weren't on Hockey Night in Canada, other than reading about them in the newspaper, you, you didn't really know much about the Edmonton Oilers. For me, it was, uh, okay. You know, I'm going to go to training camp, figure it out and figure out where I'm at, <laughs> you know, get to know some of these players, some of these, uh, uh, you know, at the time they weren't Hall of Famers, but now they are and see where you fit in, see how long it takes to get there. And it, it was a different ball game back then, you know, it's showing my age, I guess. Do you think that helped you actually like kind of maybe took some of the pressure off of like, don't like you didn't like know all of them so much like right now if a kid got drafted by we you know, if the Edmonton Oilers were kind of like playing now do you think that adds more pressure to the first round draft pick uh I I was you know for example back then there was only 21 teams and I was I didn't go to the draft and I was the only guy uh in the first round that wasn't at the draft and there wasn't now there's so much communication between the players and um uh what what happens during the game. Like, uh, you know, there's so much communication so much background check. Then there wasn't that much. So I had no idea they were even interested. I mean, there's only like two teams that talked to me. One is Boston, one is Calgary. And I was in high school, finishing up high school and I skipped school to hang out with some friends and found out uh, through my mother that one of my friends called and asked what's going on. She said, oh, you got dropped by Edmonton. I thought he was lying. I said, you're full of shit. <laughs> Come on. So, you know, first round draft pick, 19th overall. I'm going, okay, that doesn't sound right. But 
I believe you now, but at first I, I thought he was just pulling my leg. So a bit of a time jump here. What was the vibe like when Gretzky got traded? Obviously, it's a huge, uh, huge shock. But well, like, the exact vibe in the locker room. Yeah. Well, it was. Um, it, it was funny. Like I was Wayne's roommate on the road when mm. we played. So we were in that year. We won the cup. We were in Detroit playing in. Uh, I think it was semifinals. And he made a comment to me about being traded. And I, I said, you know, I didn't know what I said to him, but I, it was disbelief. I said, like, what are you smoking right now? <laughs> I said, no one's, you're not getting traded. And it says, yeah, I might get traded, but, you know, Wayne Gretzky's not getting traded at that time. So anyway, he, uh, you know, I think he had a bit of a inclination that it was going to happen. But he, and I think he slipped up, which is rare, which is very rare for him to me and uh he said you know, made the comment you know when it, when it actually happened i looked back at the comment and said okay he had a he had an idea he he knew possibly this was going to happen so mm. you know it was disbelief because back then uh, there wasn't free agency or wasn't a lot of free agency and when the you know team owned your rights owner it's for a long time and it's not like now when you're free agent at 24 25 26 back then you're lucky to be a free agent before you're 30 and but but at the same time when he got traded it, it changed the way the game was the change the monetary values uh the contracts you know him and getting traded and uh disclosing the salary and then uh also went uh the biggest one was Eric Lindros when he came in the league and he was highest paid player without playing the game. So those are probably the most significant uh, contracts ever in the NHL when it came to uh, contract disclosure and uh, knowing what guys are making and then how it affected the rest of the league. You know, I think we all know how Wayne Gretzky was on the ice, but now that you just said he was your roommate, how was he as a roommate? Well, I, I always, I always say he's a better person than he is a hockey player. He's the type of guy that, like, if I called him up or if we bumped into each other tomorrow, or if I called him and said, "Wayne, could you do something for me?" I, I don't think he'd hesitate. I think that's the type of guy he is. He's, and we were lucky to be that tight of a group there. It was like a family, and and when he got traded, it, 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 there was some dissension <laughs> amongst the family. But at the same time, you know, uh, you, you got to give, you know, the guy who orchestrated all this, Wayne, uh, Glenn Saber, a lot of credit for, you know, he taught us to be, you know, team first because there's no lack of talent as Oilers. But we uh, knew how to win, knew how to do things, and we were good at it. Obviously, you know, winning four Stanley Cups in five years, even winning when Wayne got traded. And then, you know, there were seven of us that went to New York and won another cup. So, you know, th there's a lot of people, involved, a lot of people that uh, had a lot to do with all of that. You know, yeah. I was fortunate to be in there, you know, be part of it, obviously, for, for the cup. So that's exciting for me. And it's a great, uh, it's great to be part of that. So speaking about coming to New York, it took an extra month after the Messier trade for you to actually get to New York as part of like future considerations in the deal. 
why did it take so long? And like, was like people in like in the Edmonton locker room, were you guys looking at each other like, like is it me? Is it you? Is it you? Is it like, like what was going on in the locker room? Well, I think uh, like, you know, we moved on from training uh, camper that fall. We moved on from guys at Grant Fear, Glenn Anderson went to um, Toronto. You know, we traded for, you know, good young players like Vincent Dampoos was came to us in that trade. Uh, and uh, Scott Thornton, I think, was another one. And there was a couple of the other players. And then same with, uh, you know, uh, Mark's trade to New York because I actually went in as an owner and played against Mark. And when that happened, like, I think Kevin Lowe, who's a good friend of mine, he, I think he was pretty aware of what was going on. As I found out 20 years later, after the fact from Glenn Sather, it basically it was between me and uh, Luke Richardson, who's going to be the next piece of the puzzle. And then it came down to compensation, monetary uh, compensation. And what happened was I went in, played him after the game. And me and uh, Mark went at it pretty hard. Uh, we almost got in a fight. And I could hear guys from the bench, New York Rangers bench, like Ty Doney was on the bench. going, I'm going to get you a book of them because, you know, I, you know, I played Mark hard and, you know, respected that. But at the same time, that's who I was and that's what I was. So after the game, Kevin Lowe goes, come on, let's go have a beer with Mark. And I said, uh, I don't know. I think we went pretty hard at each other because ah, it's okay. And I think Kevin had a decent idea of what may be happening. Mm. So what happened was six weeks after the fact, or five, I'm not sure exactly the exact timeline and date, but it was, you know, in a significant amount of time, I was the next piece of the puzzle. And I showed up there, I think it was around November 11th, 13th of uh, that year, that fall. And I was added to the the team is the next piece of the Mark Messier team. That's awesome. Uh, so obviously, once you get to New York, uh, we're, we're not going to get to the cup run just yet in 94, but do you have any Keenan stories? Because that guy is just a – he's just, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, you played for him. That that guy is just – he's, you know, the stories are – the stories tell themselves. Well, see, I, I was – Mike's type of guy. So he didn't bother me much. I, I remember uh, that year in 94, I actually held out for about six weeks. Uh, and the team went to uh, England for an exhibition series, and I missed that. And then I met the team in Adirondack. I had no contract. So I held out for six weeks and played exhibition games. And I said, uh, I remember Keenan coming up to me and, you know, knees me in the back and said, I hear you're a tough guy. So I, you know, we're playing out and so I go out there and I run one of their tougher players, Mickey Dakota, and I fought him. Came back to the bench and he didn't really talk to me the rest of the year. He goes, okay, I, I guess I know what you're all about. <laughs> and it, it worked out. It was good. You know, that that's my Mike Keenan story. But at the same time, we didn't, um, didn't have a lot of uh, interaction. And, you know, as long as I played hard and did my job, he left me alone. So there was a, quite a few other stories from other guys, but for me, it was pretty simple. So transitioning over to the 94 run here, what was it like before game six uh, after Mark Messier guaranteed that you guys would win? Well, I don't know if you guys are aware, but I was suspended for that. Game. I was suspended 
and we're on a bus and you know the paper is right there in front of us and i just walked over and said i said really and he goes yep i guess that's the truth <laughs> that's what's written and i said okay and that game was game six in new jersey we were uh struggling to stay competitive actually i thought mike richter held the fort until you know you could say mark won us the game but Lexi Kovalov was really important to that game. People don't realize during the game they switched lines up a little bit, and then all of a sudden there was a, some chemistry between Kovalov and Messier, and I think he assisted on a couple of his goals and got the scoring started. I don't know if he assisted or scored the first goal, and then Mark scored three more and won an empty net and got us a game seven. Game seven was pretty <laughs> interesting also because they scored with seven seconds left to tie the game and then we went a double overtime and then everyone knows Mato, Mato, Mato. When the Devils scored in game seven, like a couple seconds left, did you think Mike Rick yeah. was going to kill the ref? Because like he charged right at him. Well, yeah, I think in, you know, you look at that scene and you're going, okay, how did he not get the penalty? How did he not get suspended? <laughs> you know, it, obviously the rules were different back then. And you know, he thought for a minute, split second there, he had the puck frozen. And I was on nice for the play. And I, you know, I, obviously it was not a, one of the highlights as far as I'm concerned, because I don't even know if it was five, 10 seconds before it, I, I failed to clear. I, I've looked at that video a few times and I'm going, okay, I should have did this. And I didn't do this. And I ended up in the back of net. So it's unfortunate, you know, but it, it's a great part of history. And, you know, for the fans, I'm sure they were panicking, but, you know, the great thing about our team is we had that leadership group in there, and we didn't really panic. We, we regrouped, and we found a way, found a way to do it. What was your view of the Matto goal? Well, I, I actually started part of the goal uh, because um, what happened was, if you reel back about 10, 15 seconds, I started with the a hard dump and I tried to set a dump and then I fired it on uh, Bordeaux and then we started uh, cycling the puck and then eventually Matode uh, wrapped it around from behind the net and scored the, the winners and if you you look at right after he scored within three or four seconds it was me and Steve Larmer the first to congratulate mm. I've seen pictures of it and you know it was exciting you know it was a monumental victory for us to get to the finals and uh, to beat Jersey, who was obviously a, for more, you know, a great opponent and ended up winning a cup the next year. Mm. You know, we, we found a way to do it and we found a way to, you know, get past all the, the negative stuff. And, uh, you know, because there were some things that, that happened in the, in the Jersey series, you know, with Keen involved and players being benched. And, you know, it just showed our resilience and, you know, our foundation that we were able to move past it. Yeah, it was a very resilient team. And you could look back on it now and it's just, it really is unbelievable. Um, yeah. One of the toughest an athlete can do is just sit and watch as his team competes while he's injured. What yeah. was like after you got injured in game seven and you couldn't go back in? Well, yeah, it was a bit of a dirty check and uh, my, um, you know, hurt my knee, try to put a brace on, you know, uh, took some medication to 
numb it a little bit, but it just wasn't going to happen. And I remember um, later in the game, and Sergey Zubov comes back to the bench and he's complaining about a bit of a short shoulders on the thing. I said, "Listen here," I said, "I, I can't play. You got to do this for me." I said, "You know, this is all about a team, and this is about you picking up slack." And you know, Doug Lister was a uh, right defenseman also. He was in a lineup, but if you look at the the final uh, faceoff, he was on ice foot. But you know, and that you know, if I wasn't hurt, I'm sure I would have been on foot. But anyway, you know, these guys, you know, that's that's what makes up a team. You know, everyone has to pick up the slack. Everyone has to do their, uh, you know, take a step above when you know adversity is in our face. And these guys were willing to do that, and you know, they they deserve a lot of credit and. You know, I, I like to think that, you know, me getting hurt didn't hurt the team, but at the same time, I was a big part of the team to get us there. So, you know, it all worked out and it was good. Do you guys smile at the fact that a year after you guys won, there were different rules or rather it was more formalized about who has the cup during the summer and how it was handled? Yeah, that's <laughs> our fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like I can tell you a story. I went to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto to uh, to pick the cup up, and they weren't going to give it to me because it just came back from one of my teammates, and they broke it. And I'm going, you can't do this to me. I got this all planned, and you know they and actually the guy I'm not going to name him, but he tried to fix it. I had a buddy that was a welder in the summer, <laughs> so I was like, are you kidding me? Like you're actually. You know, and there's a lot of stories, and, and there's some stories from Edmonton days when uh, the, the cup went basically missing, and you're going, oh, who left it where? <laughs> so, you know, it probably wasn't a bad thing for the NHL to have security around it uh, because of uh, some of these factors. Who would you say is the most underrated player uh, during the 94 run? Underrated player. There's there's a number of them. Like people don't realize, like a guy like Eddie Olchuk, who didn't play a lot, was such a positive influence on us. Uh, you know, in practice, uh, away from the game, and we had a few of those guys, you know, that didn't play a lot, but when they they were called upon, they stepped up and they're instrumental in us winning. Um, you know, Alexander Kapotsov, who passed away in the plane crash in Russia was one of those guys, uh, Doug Lidster, Jay Wells, you know, all, all these guys that were on the team and a big part of it that, you know, maybe didn't get the recognition they deserve. Like Glenn Healy is a good friend of mine. I've seen quite a bit of golf with him. Uh, he's local to where I live. You know, those guys were instrumental in us winning. You know, it takes a team to win, and our team was like 26. You know, you could go on any given night you know, guys did what they had to do to, to help us succeed. And it wasn't always the stars. It was always someone that made a play, uh, blocked a shot, uh, whatever it was to get us to that point. So, you know, there's a number of guys you could name, but basically it's it's a whole group. It's a whole team. And if we didn't have everyone, we wouldn't have succeeded. So obviously, you know, we just talked about how the the NHL made new rules for the cup. Yeah, it was fun to hang out with on that team because that team looked like it was just a ball, especially after you guys won the cup. Well, 
we did a lot of things. Like we, the biggest thing for me was the parade down uh, Broadway. And, you know, like I'm, I'm in the history and I, I remember seeing, reading books or seeing pictures of, you know, World War II ending and them having parades down there and ticker tape parades and all these different events. And for us to have that honor to be able to represent that city and that team and do something like that compared to, you know, the veterans that did it to whoever else may have did it, some sports teams, you know, that, that was a huge honor. And, it, you know, that goes without saying, you know, we're talking about New York City, we're talking about one of the most famous streets in the world and have the opportunity to shut down the city, uh, you know, parade the cup down with our jerseys on, down the main, you know, Broadway and, and whatever avenues we may have turned on, and then have a, like, a, you know, be basically called, uh, go to the mayor's mansion, and they give us exactly what you give us the key to the city, you know, it, it goes without saying. We're talking about New York City. You know, obviously we played Madison Square Garden, but this is New York City. You know, you it's the most famous city in the world. And we owned it for that day, if not a couple of days. And you know, all those guys that did it, you know, there's different stories about every individual. And you know, the fact that I had pictures with uh my uh you know, with us, my kids, my family, uh all my teammates and their friends and family, you know, that's huge. It's exciting. Who was the hardest player for you to defend against? Well, it's funny because like you guys are well aware of the style of game I played and they asked that question many times. And I always said like Merrily Moon and Yomer Yager were the toughest guys to play against because they're my size, maybe even a little bigger. And their skill level and their you know, the way they protected the puck and how big and strong they were um, just was scary. You know, what they did at that size and, you know, with their ability, you know, even when, like, when Mario was 100% healthy, he was fast. People didn't realize how fast he was. But when he lost, you know, had back injuries and, you know, he had some health issues, he lost. He wasn't the skater he was, but the fact that he could do what he wanted when he wanted to almost at that size was scary. And like, so Yager wasn't far behind, that's for sure. What was your hardest hit in your career? <laughs> uh, hardest hit on the guy. I had a few. Uh, as you know, yeah, some highly reels in there. there. There's a picture, uh, I don't know if it's still in the practice facility, and it's above the skate chair machine, and it's me hitting John LeClaire. And I'm probably four feet in that in the air, and he's going down. <laughs> and like you, you know, it's like Eric Jordan underneath my skates, sort of thing, jumping the dunk of puck. So it, it uh, there's quite a few. You know, that that's one of the bigger ones. I remember, you know, going back to uh, talking about Lemieux and Yager. I remember Yager. He would. Um, I remember he had his head down. I hit him and. And I thought, I'm going to light him up and he's going to knock him down and everything. And I went down and I could barely breathe. I lost, I had my uh, wind knocked out of me and I skated by the bench and they're all laughing at me because there's Yager, you know, didn't really, no worse for wear, but, you know, I had to take a shift off just to catch my breath. And I, you know, it was amazing, but 
And she, you know, they hit someone that big, that strong, and he wasn't even aware of me. He was holding a uh, Bruce Driver off with one angle. Whoa, there's a talented player. You know, there's a big, big man with a lot of skill and a lot of strength. And, you know, those are a couple of things that stick out to me. So a lot of people say the Rangers' current top pair is similar to the Shades of 94 when you, it was Leach and you. Uh, would you say that Fox and Lindgren kind of give you some similarities or, or what, what What would you say to that pair right now? Well, I think obviously the game's changed. It's, you know, it's changed quite a bit. I think uh, the biggest thing is, you know, not to discredit Fox, but I think Brian Lynch was, he's a pretty special player. You know, he's in all of fame and I think Fox is heading that way. And I, I you know, I love watching play i think his mind is amazing i think uh brian was a better skater but he also brian was one of these guys i think people didn't realize how hard he played like he wouldn't he'd go in a corner with guys my size and he'd always come up with the pocket block shots he he took he took a lot of pride in what he was i think brian you could say we were a great pairing and we fed off each other but brian was you know, he was like the, the Yankee saying he, he was the straw that stirred the drink. And, you know, I knew where where I, my uh, prowess was. I knew how to play the game off him. And we had a great chemistry. So I think there's a lot of similarities between the two pairings. There's no doubt about it. And you, you got to give Fox and Lindgren credit for what they're doing now because it's not an easy game. And the fact that uh, those guys are able to do it at such a high level on a consistent basis is, is huge. What player do you think plays most similar to your style in today's game? I don't know. I, I think uh, I, I think there's some forwards that are to play that defenseman. I think it's harder position to play than it ever has been. You can't be at a position that's uh, if you go to make a hit and you run out of position, then it opens up the rest of the ice and teams take advantage of it. I don't think of a player that's similar to me. Uh, I'm sure there is. Uh, I think some of those teams that uh, Tampa had, like Bogosian uh, and um, who's the other defenseman uh, played in um, Toronto this year? Shen, Luke Shen. I think those are the type of players that are similar to me. And you know, were effective players and good teams. You Now, this is the – you don't have to answer this question. You can either confirm or deny or just pass completely. Uh, <laughs> I heard a rumor that Brian Leach, when he broke his ankle after, quote-unquote, slipping on ice, I heard that it was from chicken fights at a bar. Can you confirm or deny that, or were you his chicken fight dance, uh, partner? No, I, I have no idea. But honestly, I it happened, and I don't know the story, and that's where I'm sticking to it, sort of thing. I, but I don't have the information. Last question: As a scout, how what's your like process when you look at players? Well, I, I'm looking at players that are going to help Rangers win it's a cup, as opposed to a player that's going to play in the NHL. So. I'm trying to identify the player that is going to be a part of championship team, hopefully. I'm also identifying a player that has the proper intangibles to do that. 
And I go about it when it comes to defensemen. I look for the guys that don't take any shortcuts or the guys that play hard. Obviously, skill skating is a huge part of that, but there, there's some intangibles that could uh, come into uh, come into play for that also. So, I, I, you know, I'm not perfect, and the scouting world's not going to be perfect. It probably never will be. And it's like I say to everyone: if we're able to, you know, make every pick and they turn a hundred, then we're in the wrong sport because we should be buying a lottery ticket because it's not that easy. That's very true. We have a great staff. Uh, you know, you know, Drew uh, Christie's hired some really good people, and it's changed a little bit since I started. But you know, we have a great head scout and John Lilly. Uh, you know, the North American scout uh, director of scouting, uh, Andy Snyder. I got a good relationship with both those guys. Uh, we we have some great European guys too. Some of them have been there for a while, some haven't. And you know, it it's not easy, and I, I think the team appreciates time and effort we put in everything. But at the same time, you know, we work hard and we try to do our job best we can. And we're trying to, you know, create a, a situation where we can hoist that cup again. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. It was honestly, it's, you were one of my favorite players growing up. So it was an honor to, to, you know, sit and talk to you a little bit. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer uh, before hockey gets going again. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, good luck with your podcast. And you know, let's get ready for the season. And looking forward to it. Yeah.